All right, let's go ahead. Come back together. It's good to see everyone this morning. Thank you for being here. You would be helped to grab a Bible or a device that has a Bible on it. Today is a little bit interesting. I went back and looked, and now I forget, so I'm going to look on my phone again. We started, we started this sermon series in the book of Acts called Rediscovering Church back on October 10th, 2021. So October 10th, 2021 is when we started. Last week, Pastor Ron preached through the last few verses of the book of Acts, which is where I want us to turn. So Acts 28, we'll revisit it briefly today. You're going to go to two places though. So go to Acts 28, and then also put a finger in Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter four. So we're in Acts twenty-eight and Second Timothy chapter four, and I hope that you did your finger exercises this morning because we're going to be all over the place. Pastor Ron has asked me to tell the rest of the story. We are going to talk about uh, what we think happened after the words of at the end of Acts. So if you're there. Just look at the last two verses of Acts 28. The last two verses of Acts 28. Again, Pastor Ron preached on this last week. If you haven't uh, listened to that, go and get the podcast or go to the website and watch the video, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you can get that sermon. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Luke wrote these words. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's it. That's it. That's the end. There's the end of the book of Acts. Pastor Ron talked about this. Yeah, the end right there at the end of the book of Acts. And so we end the story very suddenly. Um, It's not really a cliffhanger as much as it's just kind of an ellipsis, dot, 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 um, and so, uh, Pastor Ron explored that a little bit today. What I want to do today is explore that some more in the rest of the New Testament as well. So we are going to need the Lord's help. So let's pray and ask for it, and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you that we have this Bible in our own language. Um, that reminds me, Lord, to pray for translators all over the world who are translating the Bible into languages that don't have it yet. Lord, we pray for those people that are going to read your words in their own heart language, that they would believe and that they would spread the word as well, that they would teach with all boldness and without hindrance amongst their people groups. Lord, I thank you that we have the resources that we have. I thank you that we have heaters, so this room is somewhat comfortable this morning. Lord, I thank you that we have commentaries and um, just almost an incredible library just on our phones to study these things, to look these things up. Lord, with all the the resources that we do have, we also are surrounded by distractions. So I pray you'd make us curious. I pray that you would make us good studiers. Lord, that we would want to know the Bible in all its depth, that we would want to know it in its breadth. Lord, that we would want to know more than just trivia, but that we would want to know your word 
because in it we find the words of life. So Lord, this morning I ask for your help for myself and for all those listening, for those at home who couldn't be here today. Lord, um, guide us, uh, clarify what I have muddied up. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, even spark more questions and more study and thinking about uh, Paul and Peter and the apostles and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So most readers of the Acts of the Apostles would get to the end, especially the first time they've ever read it, especially if they've been reading it all the way through, and get to the end and go, that's it? What, what happened? Where's the conclusion? How did it end? And there's all kinds of ideas about that. If you've got a study Bible, I'm sure your study notes have things about that. I looked in all kinds of resources over the last couple weeks about this, and there are tons of ideas. So what happened to Paul? After Acts twenty-eight thirty-one, And before we answer that question, we might want to think about the author. Why didn't Luke finish the story of Paul's life? Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke about the life of Jesus. And now he's written the Acts of the Apostles about primarily Peter and Paul, but also the, the early church. Another question we ought to ask is how can we know what happened and another question how important is it and how much should we care and this is important to to say at the outset because right now i'm going to tell you about writers that aren't in the bible we're going to look at um clement of rome and some other guys and you should be asking why is this important why is this so boring when will he stop okay (laughs) those are some of the questions that you should ask um crucially We don't need this today because the Bible doesn't tell us the Holy Spirit didn't see fit for the biblical authors to give us a clear view of what happens. At some point, they had to stop or we'd have a living Bible, we'd have a Bible still going, we'd still be adding to it, right? So the canon is closed, we have the scriptures. So this is not crucial today. But if we live in the wealthiest nation on earth, if we have more resources available to our fingertips than at any time in history, if many of you have gone to Israel with us and seen some of these things yourselves, if many of you like to study and to read, then why not? Why not try to connect the dots and put the pieces together? One of the things that I liked doing as a kid was um, going through all the genealogies in the Old Testament cool guy um and trying to add up all those years and and put things together and try to get from adam to jesus and try to figure all that out um you don't have to do that to be saved and go to heaven okay but if you're growing in the image of jesus and you're loving the lord your god with all your mind then perhaps this is a good exercise for us today It's also important because we want to know that the book that we do have is reliable. So this is directly related. I won't won't spend a lot of time on this today, but this is directly related to the reliability of this book. Why why am I not opening up the Quran today for you? Why are we not looking at the Bhagavad Gita? Why don't I have the Book of Mormon open up here today? It's because I don't believe those are the words of the true living God. And that's what we believe about this book. But many of us, 
I'm sure, have or have nagging questions, doubts, things popping up in our minds about whether or not this book is more than just a fairy tale or wish fulfillment. So we need to talk about this because of the culture that we live in, because of the enemies of the gospel trying to discount the word of God. So today we'll spend the time just to do that a little bit. I told you to be in 2 Timothy. I'm being naughty, I'm not there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want us to look at the last recorded words that we have from the Apostle Paul. Okay, so in order to answer all of those questions that I just threw out there and on the top of your notes, I want us to look at the, the end of 2 Timothy. Because you know what's interesting is as you look through the New Testament or as our Awana kids are learning the order of the books, I have a, how many of you have a song, by the way, for New Testament books that is in your brain? Yeah? Go, to, go, to, go find Philemon and you're like, right? Trying to find it? Yeah. When we're going through the books of the Bible and trying to get that, um, spoiler alert, it's not in chronological order. So I, I, I think, I hope I did you a little bit of a service. On the backside of your notes, I did a, a brief chronology, just kind of piecing together from a lot of good resources, many people smarter than me. I put this together. Um, we, we don't know all of these things for like month, date, hour, minute, second, but we have a very good idea of um, the years that things happened and that books were written in. So you'll notice some of that um, on the back, and you may want to refer to that as we go. But here in 2 Timothy, we have what seems to be Paul's last words. So look at 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul says this to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Move down to verse 9, and we get all these details that we love to skip over when we're sipping our coffee and can't make heads or tails of why someone would name their son Demas, but do your best to come to me soon, Paul tells Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Who wrote the book of Acts? Interesting. Get Mark. That's another book of the Bible. Hmm. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That would have been a conference. Mark, Luke, and Paul together? Whoa! That is almost, that is most of the New Testament. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Imagine that just being in the last words of Paul, the bad guy. Okay, he, he says, beware. He says these crucial words in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Parentheses. Do you remember when we first met Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts? He's watching a man named Stephen have large stones thrown at his head to crush his skull. And Stephen says in the midst of being martyred, being put to death, he says, essentially, may it not be charged against them. You just wonder if that stuck with Paul for the rest of his life. And here at the end of his life, he says, may it not be charged against them, those who had deserted him. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me. 
from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we do our Bible reading, as we read through the scriptures, by the way, how many of you have or are reading, well, actually, how many of you are reading a chronological uh, reading planner now? Is anybody doing that? Okay, Terry's got that. How many of you, uh, okay, how many of you have done a chronological Bible reading plan? Okay, I don't mean just like Matthew to Revelation. I mean, they're kind of hop, skipping, and jumping around, yeah? Okay, um, some of you found that really annoying and weird. Some of you found it very helpful. Um, but when you do that, you start to get some of the books of the New Testament sprinkled in as you're reading Acts, okay? Which is, I found that to be a helpful thing the one time that I did that. But as you start to read it, you start to, to put pieces together and think through, when was this in the book of Acts? How do I line this up with what's happening in the book of Acts? That's a good thing to try to do. And it seems that as you begin to look at the movements, come visit me. Timothy, come, come to me before winter. Titus, come to me before winter. I'll meet you in Nicopolis. All of these things, you go, wait a second, I didn't hear, I don't remember any of that in Acts. Thomas Oden states that based on movements and locations in 2 Timothy, the complex movements cannot be fitted into the chronology of Acts. So we have a problem. And one of the easiest ways to get out of the problem is to go, well, Paul didn't write it anyway, so it doesn't matter, which is what many, many people do. Because okay? that, gets, that gets rid of it. Second Timothy, uh, the, the language is a little bit different than Paul's other letters. Um, so we're just going to discount that. Okay, that's interesting. Well, if we read um, the prison epistles that Paul wrote from Rome, which is um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, he tells that he's in prison and he's writing um, to other churches and to an individual. And in Philippians 1, we see he's, he seems to expect to get out. And so, wait, is this when he was in prison in Caesarea? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, is this complicated? Yes, that's okay. It's okay that it's complicated. But as you begin to, to read and piece these things together, it seems likely that Paul doesn't die right there at the end of Acts. Okay, he's in prison. He's in the prison for two years. And Luke de- declines to give us the rest of the story. Well, why would Luke do that? There's many reasons. Um, one of those reasons um, is that a, a scholar named Pastor Ron said, the point of Acts is the gospel goes unhindered. The gospel goes to the whole world. The point of Acts is the formation of the church, spreading the gospel by carrying on the work of Christ to the world. So Luke is not telling the biography of Paul. Luke talked to us about Peter. And then we, we lose Peter for 25 years. We don't know what Peter's doing. Um, we don't hear anything about James, except that he dies. Um, we have nothing on John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas son of James, Matthias. Paul disappears in, in, in Luke's Acts for 10 years after his conversion. We don't have a, 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 a complete biography here, right? We have the story of the word. The word going forth. In fact, if you read Acts and you look many times, it's not the word going forth because of Paul or Peter. It's the word going forth because of Christians. Christians who were scattered. They're telling the gospel. They're telling the story. When, when Paul finally gets to Rome, it's not the church he planted. Somebody else planted it. So the story is of the gospel. The story is of God's word going forth. And so interestingly to us, historically, we like to see how some of these things fit. If you've been to Israel with us, we go to Masada. Masada is not in the Bible, okay? Um, But it's so helpful to be up on top 
of that mountain, huffing and puffing, and, and looking around and thinking and feeling and understanding the Jewishness of it, seeing the Roman camps that are still there at the base of the mountain 2,000 years later and realizing, wow, all of this happened in a real-life context. This isn't Narnia. No one stepped through the back of a wardrobe. No one fell through a painting, okay? Um, this is actual, historically accurate stuff. Okay, having said all of that, what happened? What happened? Well, we have some time markers, as you see on the chronology. We have some time markers about when Paul came to Rome in his first imprisonment. We know that it was somewhere between, probably somewhere between 59 and 62 A.D., we have lots of uh, reasons that we know this because we know about Festus and Felix. We know about Gallio, the proconsul. We know um, when some of the letters had to have been written. And so we can pinpoint some of those things. When we look at the movements in 1 Timothy and Titus and 2 Timothy, we don't match them up with the book of Acts. So it seems likely to us that either during the times where it says Paul was there for two years, that he went on a bunch of side trips, or that Paul went on more trips after he was released from his first imprisonment. Okay? Uh, based on the prison epistles, if you read, um, again, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, Timothy was there with Paul in Rome. We just read in 2 Timothy that Paul's in prison, and he's asking Timothy to come to him soon in Rome. So the timeline doesn't match up. We also know from the book of Romans, that Paul wanted to go west. Go west, old man. In Romans 15, verse 18, here's what Paul says. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And then he talks about how he, he hasn't been able to visit them in Rome, but when he hopes to come to Rome soon, he wants to, verse 24, see you in passing as I go to Spain. He wanted to go all the way to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you. He then tells him first he has to go east, though, and go to Jerusalem because he was asking for donations, and we have that in the book of Acts. But then in verse 28, he says, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. He says it two times. So that at the very least, we know that Paul wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go all the way to the west. Did he make it? We don't know. There are some traditions that say whether he did and didn't. There is no like archaeological evidence um, that he did for sure. But what we do know is that there is a strong case to be made for his release from prison. The references that we find in places like Philippians and Philemon and Colossians and in First and Second Timothy and in Titus seem to speak to the fact that Paul was released from prison and that he did more ministry afterwards. So let's take a look at one of those. And the first one I want to look at is um, a guy named Clement. Clement. San Clemente. 
Saint Clement. This is, this is him. This is who the, the town is named for. Um, Clement was, um, according to the Roman Catholic Church, either the second, the third, or the fourth pope. Um, but we don't, we don't subscribe to that because we don't believe in um, the papacy. But what we do know is that Clement was um, in Rome, and he died right around the turn of the first century to the second century. So he's very, very early on, and he has a very reliable uh, book that he wrote called First Clement. And in First Clement 5, 5 through 7, we get this picture, just as the assumption of that what Paul did. Having taught righteousness to the whole world and come to the extreme limit of the West and suffered martyrdom under the prefects. Um, in that, he's just assuming that the, the author, that the readers know that, yeah, Paul went all the way to the extreme West. What was the extreme limit of the West? Well, J.B. Lightfoot's influential work suggests at the beginning of the second century, the extreme limit of the West likely referred to the pillars of Hercules at the Straits of Gibraltar. So as you exit West out of the Mediterranean Sea and you enter into the Atlantic, where Plato said Atlantis was, as you leave there, there's the Straits of Gibraltar. Um, There's the gigantic rocks that also pertain to Greek myth about Hercules and some of the job that he had to do by busting through what used to be a closed Mediterranean Sea and opening it to the Atlantic. But there at the, the pillars of Hercules were out there supposedly on the west, and that is what Paul is likely being referred to. Paul said he wanted to go to Spain. Clement said he got to the extreme limit of the west. Do we know that he got there? This is, this is very good evidence that he may have gotten there. We know Paul. If Paul could have gotten there, he would have gotten there. He would have made it happen. What's another, what's another shipwreck? You know, might as well. Um, interestingly, the pillars of Hercules are displayed on Spain's coat of arms, on their flag, um, the end of the Mediterranean. Um, also, the city of San Diego, on their seal, they have the pillars of Hercules here at the extreme, at that time, the extreme west of the land. That's very early on. That's less than 30 years we believe, after Paul was executed. That's a really good help to us to think that perhaps Paul got there. What's interesting to us, though, is what we find in First and Second Timothy and Titus is we have no more reference of work in the West. We have reference to work back in the East or also on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. So what happened? Was Paul out of prison long enough to go gallivanting across the world? Possibly. Um, to get to Spain was probably um, uh, via ship and not land, so he could have gotten there possibly a little quicker. Uh, less than 100 years later, we hear in the Muratonian canon, which is a very important fragment that we have found, it mentions, as a matter of fact, Paul's departure from the city as he was proceeding to Spain. Okay? Um, and in the, in the Muratonian canon, which is the first time we actually get a list of the books of the New Testament, the first real list we see of the books of the New Testament. In it, it says, For the most excellent Theophilus, Luke summarizes the several things that in his own presence have come to pass, as also by the omission of the passion of Peter he makes quite clear, meaning he didn't, he didn't mention Peter, and equally by the omission of the journey of Paul, who from the city of Rome proceeded to Spain. So the Mauritanian canon is saying, Luke wrote Acts, but in the book of Acts he didn't complete Paul's journeys. He ended the book of Acts, and that's where the book of Acts ends. Paul kept going all the way to Spain. That's really early on evidence um, as well. Uh, next, there's a 
really important church historian, probably the first church historian named Eusebius. Very important guy, lived at the end of the 3rd century, the beginning of the 4th century. Um, eventually, he became uh, fairly buddy-buddy with Constantine and wrote uh, a lot of church history. But in his church history, written around 323 A.D., um, he says this, Now, in the second epistle of those to Timothy, he shows that Luke alone was with him as he wrote, but at his first answer, not even this one. So he's saying, when he first went to trial, Paul said, no one was with me. But then he's asking Timothy to come to him. What's the discrepancy? Wherefore, Luke probably wrote the Acts of the Apostles at that time, bringing the narrative up to the time when he was with Paul. We have related these matters to show that Paul's martyrdom was not accomplished by him during the sojourn in Rome, which Luke records. Interestingly, there's plenty of other early writers who also just kind of show an awareness of it. It was just kind of an assumption of the early church that Paul made it to the West. Uh, Athanasius, Epiphanius, Jerome, Theodore of that place, Pelagius, Theodoret, all of these um, early church fathers just assumed this tradition. Does that mean it's gospel? No. But it does strongly suggest that at the very least, Paul got out of prison and perhaps he made his way all the way to the West. What's more, there's not really a competing theory. Because I won't find anybody else who's like, actually, those bozos are wrong and Paul didn't make it over there. There's no competing theory. There's nobody else. There's no other early church fathers that suggest anything different. Um, Mount says it is especially significant, significant that there is no contradictory tradition asserting that Paul died at the end of his first imprisonment which is amazing. Because if you think about what we learned about in the book of Acts, Paul's ready, right? He's, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to Rome. Don't go to Rome, I'm going to Rome. Don't go to Jerusalem, I'm going to Jerusalem. Right? He's going. He's going to go. Why? Because he wants to share the gospel in Rome. He wants the opportunity to appeal to Caesar himself, known as Lord and Savior of the Roman Empire. And he wants to tell him of another Lord and Savior. So what happened? We don't know. There are various theories. Um, what possibly happened is that nobody showed up. And so because Paul was a Roman citizen, he couldn't be held indefinitely. And so he was free to go. Um, we know he was fairly free while he was in Rome. He was kind of furnished in his own apartment. He had um, one guard with him and they had six hour shifts, but his friends could come and visit him. He had all kinds of Bible studies going on in the house. And so once he was released, it wasn't all that different because something had expired, perhaps. So why did Paul go back to prison? Because he's Paul. <laughs> the same reason he was already in prison twice, probably got imprisoned again. That's our assumption, right? He continued to speak of um, a, a true king. He continued to speak of King Jesus. He continued to make Jews mad at him. He continued to make Gentiles mad at him. And so it's not hard for us to imagine that Paul gets thrown back into prison. So if we reconstruct then our timeline and our chronology, as you can see on the back of the notes, um, the book of Acts gets us pretty close. Um, but we can, we can assume that First and Second Timothy and Titus are written um, after Paul is released from that first imprisonment. First Timothy and Titus seem to not be written from prison. Um, they are written, First Timothy is written to Timothy to encourage him, to give him strength, to give him 
a pep talk to give him more um, to be the pastor at Ephesus. Um, Titus is almost certainly not written from prison. Um, and Paul says that he left Titus in Crete to establish elders. Well, do we see any other thing like that in Paul's life? Yes. On the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are planting these churches for the first time in what is now known as Turkey, Turkey, eh? Asia Minor, and they go through and they plant the churches and they go back and they encourage the churches and they appoint elders. The very same language is used when Paul says, hey, I left you there to kind of put things in order and appoint elders. And then he gives the qualifications for those elders so those churches can thrive under good leadership. So that makes a ton of sense that um, Paul would have uh, Titus do that on Crete, but it begs the question, why didn't Paul do it himself? Well, it seems that in these last years, Paul's all over the place. Because if you start to read some of those throwaway lines, there's no throwaway lines in the Bible, right? But there's throwaway lines in the Bible because we're just like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm moving on. In some of those, in some of those lines, Paul's talking about directions. Come visit me. Make sure you get my books. Do this. Do this. I'll see you there. I'll meet you in this place. Oh, I miss Timothy. He says that in one of the letters. Um, all of those things suggest that Paul is continuing to move all over the place. So some people say, yes, Paul was released from prison. He didn't make it to Spain, though. He changed plans, and he had to go back through some of those other churches. That's a possibility. Could he have made it all the way to Spain and back? Sure, he could have. Um, is it imperative that we know the answer? No, it is not, because it's not in the Bible. But what, what this does is this helps us see the drive and the motivation of Paul, his ambition. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named. Is that our ambition? Would we say we have ambition? Or is that like not a godly thing, no ambition? And we want the right kind of ambition. And we want to be ambitious about the right kinds of things. There's probably priorities to our ambition. But if we're not ambitious about the, the gospel going to those who have never heard, then we didn't understand Acts. And we haven't understood Paul's letters. It doesn't mean that right now all of us have to become Paul. But it does mean we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play. We all have many things that we can do. The first of which is just being obedient to the Great Commission in our own neighborhoods, families, and workplaces. Another thing is that we spend our resources, that we give of the abundance that God has given to us to send people to those places. Now that might sound a little cowardly. You go, I don't want to go. And that can be cowardly if that's why. But if you see it as a team, as you see it as holding the rope for those who are going to the, the, the deepest, darkest places where Christ has not been named, then we get to be a part of that. And if you have a faulty view of prayer, maybe you don't think that's very important either, but we can pray for people that we know by name who are spreading the gospel in places that have never heard the name of Jesus or that there's no church or where no one believes in the Jesus of the Bible. They only believe in the Jesus of the Quran. We support missionaries, guys, who are doing this very thing. You need to follow them on social media. You need to get their letters and their emails so you can be actively praying that they would push further 
in to Satan's kingdom and collapse it in on itself so that Jesus' kingdom has outposts all over the world. This is Paul's ambition. He got out of prison to do the same thing that got him put in prison. Did you get that? He got out of prison to do the same thing that got him into prison. He wouldn't stop. There used to be a couple that sat right in here in the front at Village Bible Church. They had relationships here. They had connections. They rented a house really close by. They were in their 50s. And God called them to go, and so they went to Endicott, Washington. This is not a message for young people. This is a message for God's people. If you're 78 years old, it's likely, not impossible, it's likely you're not going to uproot and go somewhere in Indonesia and spread the gospel. You could visit our missionaries in Indonesia. That's certainly a good thing that you could do. But never say never to God's call on our lives. And never forget that your 401k, your job, your improvements around your house, they can all be used for God's purposes. Or they can be used for selfish purposes. That's the choice that we have to make. We have the opportunity. God has placed us in a nation, in a place where we have more wealth than the world has ever known. Why is that? Why is the church in America free and wealthy? Is it so that we can build the most cool buildings, the best websites, and have the best sound systems and most comfortable chairs and best, 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 best? Why is it? Why has God done this? He might not do it for much longer. Why has he done it? He's done it so that we can fund and educate those who are going. They have to be prepared. This is one of the things that you get to do as an American Christian. You get to make more money than anyone in the history of the world and be a part of the machine, the team, the family that's sending people to tell others of Jesus. And it doesn't mean we get out of it here. Because things don't look particularly bright in our country at the moment, do they? For the cause of Christ. We don't want to talk about the statistics of churches that are closing, but churches are closing. People no longer make it a priority to go to church. You know that um, in, uh, in pastoral circles, we talk about attendance a lot and keeping track of people and trying to put numbers to faces and faces to numbers and try to keep track of all those things. Sometimes that can be idolatry. Sometimes it's good stewardship. But, you know, now in church circles, we count um, regular attendance at church as two to three times a month. 40, 50, 60 years ago, regular church attendance was two to three times a week. There's all kinds of things that go into that. Not all of them are bad. But that's not an encouraging trend. That that trend speaks to um, how much I care about going to the places I want to go to on my bucket list and making sure that I have the most fun I can have before this life is over. Forget that. You're not going to have sin in the new heavens and the new earth. That's way more fun. Have you planned a vacation and actually gone on it? 
I mean, let's, let's look forward to what we have to look forward to when we're without sin and we're in the presence of Jesus, and let's get more people there with us. We heard a great story yesterday of Joanne's mom coming to faith in that room right there. Could it happen again? Could it happen today? It sure could, because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. But they've got to hear it. How can they hear if no one preaches? And how can they preach if no one's sent? And how can they be sent if there's no senders? I kind of, you know, paraphrase that. But, but th- this, is, this should be our ambition. Not to retire comfortably. Now, that's not a bad ambition. To take care of your family and to have resources. But if that's the end of it, what a sad person you are. That's it? That's all you've got to look forward to? 60, 70, 80, 90 years and it's, it's over? It's done? It's gone? But Paul, at the end of his life, said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil. Paul said that. What do you mean the Lord? He's going to have his head removed from his shoulders by a sword. He counts that as deliverance because he has a long-term view. He can see past his death into eternity. He can see past his ministry into the ministry of Timothy's and Titus's and Luke's and Mark's and all of these unnamed people that came from the school of Paul and spread the gospel around the world. Make no mistake, Paul and possibly Peter at the same time were put to death because they loved Jesus more than their own lives. That is ultimately why they were executed. Were they seen as rebels against the Roman Empire? Sure. Why? Because they said there was a greater king, a true king. And, and here's, here's what the end of this is going to look like. The end of this is not everyone's got to be like Paul because that gets really discouraging because I'm not Paul. <laughs> Don't you read Paul and you go, oh, man, the guy just goes and goes and he's motivated and he's single. He has nothing holding him back. He's going, right? I can't do that. You don't have to be Paul. You just have to love Paul's God and be a part of the family of God. I think I put this quote at the end of your notes. Um, this commentator on Acts, he said this at the very end of the commentary, which um, I appreciate it because sometimes those can be really boring, but this one was really helpful. Eckhart Schnabel said this, and he, by the way, he was referring to... Um, particularly the anonymous people in the book of Acts that, that, that do the same work as Paul, they just don't get named. The people that took the gospel to Samaria, the guys that took the gospel to Caesarea, the guys that took the gospel to Rome and Alexandria and Antioch. He said this, God is doing much more in the world than historians record or than what we are personally aware of. What counts is not what is recorded. And he's not discounting scripture there. He's saying what historians write down. Because we don't know if Paul made it to Spain. What counts is not what is recorded, but what congregations and their missionaries do in faithfulness to their calling as witnesses of Jesus through God's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this church, Village Bible Church, we have the responsibility to do what we can with what God has given us. We don't dictate what Young Nat Presbyterian Church does across the street, although we partner with them in several things. We can't dictate what Iglesia Christiana is doing, although we partner with them here on this very campus. 
but we have the ability within ourselves to allocate our resources, to plan and spend and do the things that are going to make the gospel go around the world. So now you sort of know the rest of the story. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and lead us in one last song that I I think seems very appropriate here as you've been bored to tears by my history lecture today. But I think that what's important is that we connect it We connect it to the scriptures, and then we connect it to our lives. Paul was a real human being with real weaknesses and strengths. He had real relationships with churches all over the Mediterranean. And he lived for the ambition that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. Here we are at the ends of the earth, folks. How many of you have been to Israel? That's a long flight. My goodness, the gospel's come a long way. And there's still places that it needs to go. There are still people who have never heard. Who's going to tell them? Who's, what if it's you? Or more dangerously, grandparents and parents, what if it's someone living in your home? What if God, God tells them to go someplace they're going to get their head chopped off? Will you let them? Will you encourage them? Will you pray for them? What if... God does that. What if the cause of Christ is worth it? Let's stand and sing. Let's pray. Father, may that be true of our lives, that we would not build up our name, that we would live so that your name would be glorified across the world, that your glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So we pray Paul's prayer to the Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.